The Home Show with Sinead Ryan. Brought to you by EBS. Let our dedication, focus and expertise help you on your mortgage journey. EBS DAC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. This is News Talk. You're very welcome along to The Home Show. This is Sinead Ryan with you on News Talk's new show where we look closely at all areas of the home, design, architecture, interiors and everything which affects the way we live. Uh, you can contact the programme by emailing us on thehomeshow at newstalk.com and you can find me on Twitter at Sinead underscore Ryan. Now again this week we've been joined by our resident designer, architect and artist Roisin Murphy. It's very nice to see you Roisin. How are you doing? I'm doing well Sinead. It's lovely Good. to be here. Now we're going to look at some Something that has a wider uh, kind of topic range than things we've been talking about in recent weeks, which are very much in the home. Uh, Let's look at a kind of a wider issue, which is about housing in general. Now, we saw that the National Planning Framework um, uh, has introduced a waiver on heights and building heights and apartments. uh, And there is this move kind of to get rid of that urban sprawl out and and kind of compact our cities. Tell us what's involved in that and what you think about it. Well, first of all, I would say I am a fan of high density living. I believe that we do need to go up. I believe apartment living is the future. But we have a very knee jerk response to a lot of things in Ireland. We have a tendency to respond in planning very quickly to problems. Hence, we may have kind of, you know, hand over all social housing to the private sector. And suddenly it's like Dublin City Council is never going to build another piece of social housing. We can't afford to do it. And then there's all sorts of spin off problems from that. And there's been a homeless crisis. So the response has been waiver on height restrictions. But there hasn't been any joint up thinking. There hasn't been a framework put in place to do what you would see in, say, very good fabriced cities where you have scales of densities in the, say, the inner cores of the city in the historic areas. So we have also got very keen developers in Ireland. We, we have a good, you know, we have a good selection of the lads and they come in and they build ferociously. But they are all going in to apply for waivers on their heights immediately. So Housing Minister Owen Murphy said yeah. that he wanted to see six stories as the new norm. Yeah. Uh, is that just going to lead for, to a free for all now or what, what is actually happening? But they're not going six stories, they're going higher. So they're going in on smaller developments and saying, you know what, we might as well go 10. We'll go 30 metres up rather than 15 metres up. And any time there's any objections or they people are accused of nimbyism, which is this term that is thrown out for anybody who objects to anything. They're going, you know, Brexit is one statement they make and the next statement they make is homelessness or social housing. But most of the developments that are coming back in are really related to business or student housing. Say the the latest one that has Twitter and a Ferrari is the one up near Mountjoy Square where we're getting another block of student housing and they've come in and said, you know what we'll do now? We'll just go a little bit higher. And that's not social housing. And it's a huge impact on 
how a city develops and lives. I know, but you can understand it from somebody's a resident's viewpoint. They've been living on a nice, quiet street near the city, walking in and out of town, and suddenly this 10-storey building goes up behind them and completely overshadows everything around it. Because some of those concerns, they're not NIMBYism. That, no, that's a genuine concern. It is a genuine it? concern. And especially if they aren't residential units, they're not apartments, they're student housing. It's a, a migrant population as such. So you have people coming up for the term of college and then they go away. So you're not developing neighbourhoods. You're not developing social communities. You're developing and people are turning them over then for Airbnb during the summer. So it's a completely different force than they're used to within the centre of the city. So if you even go through New York, you'll see all the old brownstones exist. They're part of the character of a city. In Paris, you'll see the mansards where they were forced to kind of keep within certain limits of the height. So that keeps the city kind of interesting as well. So you're not coming in just to see whole scale development. And speaking of Paris, because that was cited in the framework and and indeed in the minister's speech where it was this lovely ideal place to live and it's ideal for lots of reasons. But one of the things he was saying is that 2.2 million people live in what is central Paris, inside the periphery. And in Dublin, in the same space, a quarter of that population lives. So what is ideal about it? How do they do that and and kind of marry that in with those lovely old buildings that they have? Because the only way is up, really, isn't it? The only way is up, but they have controlled zones. They don't just say, you know what now, you know what, we need a nice apartment block right beside the Arc de Triomphe. They don't do that. You'll see lower scale buildings. So these monuments still have scale and, and monumentality, right? Then they'll, they'll go out to the periphery or the banlieue and they build well-serviced blocks of apartments. Now, they still have all their social mix and their problems. I mean, you can't cite France at the moment without the gilets jaunes. They're having their problems, but they're not related to social housing, they're related to taxes. And I suppose, in a way, if Dublin is a suburban city, there is sprawling suburbs out past, I would say, even our area of Glasnevin, but there is also low dense, there's, there's hardly any, there's large spots that are ripe for proper high density living. But if you are going to go high density and the minister really isn't talking about this, he's not talking about the incredible framework that's required for high density living. I'm very interested in, say, Ballymun, which we saw, which was a knee jerk reaction to the tenements in the 50s. And they went out and they built these beautiful state of the art underfloor heated huge apartment blocks straight off the international model. And it all failed because they had no public transport and they had no shops. Mm. Arguably, they still have not provided a decent shopping centre in Ballymun, but they have a swimming pool and a guard station. So, so you do need to focus on the amenities. And when they built somewhere like Adamstown, yeah. uh, by contrast then, yeah. uh, and under the new guidelines, isn't it the case that the roads have to be in, the schools have to be in, there has to be planning for retail units yes. before you get to the stage yes. where you're building these apartments? Would you see that as the way to go? I in, would see that as the way to go. I do love high density, but I, I do see that as the way to go. Or just not handing over the keys to the developers to give them, you know, because we're so in such in desperate need of housing that we just go, you build it for us. Because that, oh, there's a huge problem that's on the horizon that's probably even more scary with this kind of speed at which we're doing this without proper controls is we traditionally love to buy our apartments, right? Mm-hmm. Or our houses. That's who we are. And it works in a very many layered way. It kind of works. It underpins how we live. You know, you retire, you sell the house. You, you know, there's a lot of things that come into play with that national obsession. But people are developing apartments to rent. So there is 
another card in play in Ireland we at the have, moment. We have and you know we've seen developments that have just been literally bought up. I can think of one in Churchtown in Dublin that has just uh, was built as a full development and just hoovered up by one buyer, one owner who yeah. is going to rent the whole thing out. But that's servicing a need that exists. The rental market, market is in chaos. It is in chaos due to lack of supply. But I don't know if it's in chaos due to lack of ordered supply. I mean, I I don't think the state should be handing over its obligations to provide a rental market or a social housing market. I think that we have to be really careful that we don't hand over. Like we sold an awful lot of our state architecture during the downtime. NAMA came in. There was a kind of like, you know, we were in dire straits. We had to do something. But we have to be very careful how we develop. You know, there has to be space for lower socially economic um, workers. There has to be place for artists. There has to be place for sport. So if we go, if we if Owen keeps going, he may destroy the very thing that is Dublin, which is this kind of historic laid back city. We need to be really careful how we do it. It has to be. And we have to, you know, speed and haste can generate, which is what happened in Ballymun that, you know, became a complete disaster. And guess what happened? They actually ended up demolishing all of the blocks of high density living. OK, but like, so if these, uh, this waiver is in now yeah. and developers can apply for higher height, what's the optimum height? I mean, is it? Is it six stories? Is I it think ten it, stories? I, personally speaking, I think it depends on the area. I think there are, there is, a, there's definitely room for sort of vertical living. Even, you know, when you're looking out over Dublin, you kind of go, it's very flat towards the edges. Mm. Like the mountains come up as you look towards the south side and it's quite beautiful. But if you're looking at the north suburbs, they're very flat, you know. So I do think, and they they have ample opportunity to put them in. But I'm not sure that up in Mountjoy Square where they wouldn't allow the children's hospital to go because of height restrictions, they're suddenly going to allow Boland's Bakery to be destroyed to put in high-rise living. Like, so, you know, it's it's one extreme to the next. What we're really asking for, I think, in the architectural and conservation community is some just some breaks, some casual, you know, proper joint-up thinking about this so we don't lose our architectural heritage. Because in this, they're kind of knocking down lots of 19th century buildings as well, going, mm. we need to build... And, you know, we have to be careful because it's our city. I mean, I also think the race to build them is great, I think. But there are an awful lot of foreign buyers coming in as well and making big, huge build to rent apartments in Dublin. And it's a bit it's a bit new. Yes. Not that it shouldn't happen, but how it happens with the proper infrastructure. It's It's new to us. It's throughout Europe. Yes, it is common. But you can still buy your apartment in New York. And, you know, if you have half a million to drop down very easily. (laughs) Half a million and the rest. Uh, Now, each week we ask you to bring in uh, an object of design, uh, something that is special to you and something a little bit innovative. Now, I haven't seen what you have brought me in this week. It's all wrapped up there. We wrapped it it into your proper surprise. Okay, well, it's it's enormous and circular. It's like um, a spaceship. I'll tell you that now. This is, um, I'll let you open it there first, Sinead, and you can... Christmas? Yes, like Christmas. I didn't get the... I didn't. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, right. Oh, well, this is very heavy. Hang on. It's beautiful. This you... is a large, round, very large, round wicker basket. That is... A shallow sk- basket. That is a skib. That is made by Hannah Van Eist. She is a basket maker and that was used... This is trendy on a huge scale at the moment. 
and by young buyers as well. And what it is, it was used to drain potatoes years ago in the cottages. You took your boiled potatoes out and it was your colander as such. Oh, very peg sayers. Very right. peg sayers. And it was you. And now they're putting them. It, it's beautiful. It worked then as a coffee table. You ate out of that, your potatoes out of that basket. But it has made a resurgence. And people are either making them into coffee tables or hanging them on the wall. Oh, it's low. It's such detailed work. The yeah, patience that must go in to, and yeah. it's gradiated. Just for listeners, I'll put a, I'll put a picture up on my yeah. Twitter um, page. But it's gradiated in color. So she's gone out of her way to find the different uh, coloured. Uh, branches to weave in so that you get a kind of a striped effect as you go towards yeah. the centre. It's it's lovely. So what do people put in this, Roisin? They, they are actually adapting them to use them as coffee tables. Um, so they make a pair, you know, a set of metal legs or they're just hanging them on the wall as art. So this is from Design Ireland. It's a little shop where they just hold only Irish goods. But what's interesting about this is the resurgence of it because mm. it's a very kind of, in, you know, indigenous Irish object that suddenly young people are, you know, that they're, they're reconnecting with their Finding heritage. Again. So it's kind of, it's, but it is, it's huge. It's, it is yeah. huge. It is huge. But it is, it is absolutely beautiful. I'd say it's probably around, I don't know, two feet in diameter. To yeah, use the and old that's, money. that's a medium one. Mm. They come huge. Um, I have something else for you today okay, as well. Lovely. Gifts on the double today. Okay. All right, so this it looks. Oh, I hope you're giving me a bottle of wine. No, here. it's this not. Is, <laughs> this <laughs> looks like a it's wine, not wine box. It's not wine today. Uh, Unaccustomed as I am. I know. Okay, Aaron Street East, and I'm opening it up, and there's lots yeah, of. Yeah, this is just uh, to leave a mess in your studio for oh when dear. I'm gone. All so, right, you know, okay, well, the you, next presenter can deal with that. Oh, look now. So we've I've taken out all yeah. the straw. It's also in connection with this idea of colour, because I know there's a lot of keen debate about colour. Yeah. So this is. These a, are lovely. Okay, so these are. The most beautiful uh, cups. Yes. I have uh, four in the box. One is lemon. One is called cabbage. It's a kind of a a greeny browny colour. One is another pomegranate. Isn't this lovely? So they're they're identical cups, but they're all different colours. Now, this is, I know, even though I'm not good on trends, this is a trend, having different (laughs) coloured cups, different coloured saucers. I don't think different coloured plates. I think you protest too much about that. I'm thinking, going, that's so passe. I, I do like that. Today, a basket. The, but the kind of the tweed, yeah. perfect, everything matchy-matchy is gone, isn't it? Well, it, it is gone. And in a way, what's really interesting about this, and it kind of comes back to, um, you'll see the great, they go in different shapes. This is actually the brainchild of Laura McGahey, who is, as we know, oh, is yes. responsible for so many important um, big build projects in this country. And she produced this fabulous company, uh, Aaron Street East, where they make uh, really hand lovely quality. They're so Very beautiful. Very smooth. We'll get, we'll get uh, the producer yeah. to make us a cup of coffee in a minute. They're so beautiful. And it's an Irish company. And in a way, it's become, you know, with the, you know it's nearly like a, the equivalent of Water for Crystal. It'd be a lovely gift, actually, for it, a wedding. It is. What would something like this cost, do you know? I think that's around 100 euros. And it is. But now they were telling me as I was leaving, there's 20% off this uh, weekend for Mother's Day. And they do do offers as they okay. come along. They it's also, pricey enough. But you know what? You, you'll have it forever. It, it really is, exactly is like that. an heirloom piece, isn't it? And they're it? all handmade. And those Beautiful. particular colours are made um, inspired by vegetables. So they have a fruit and vegetables and an architectural range. So there's loads of different colours. But they're so unbelievably perfect. 
perfect and for very, something that's very made by hand. Looking. Really, the real talking point now. If, and it, it, it what I love about that is you see the way that is. You can get a box of two, so for a him and her cup, mm, they're very cute. It is lovely, and they kind of fit together nearly, don't they? Yeah, it's they absolutely do. Beautiful. Okay, so remind us again where where Aaron Street get this? East. You can Aaron get. Street they have East. a lot of stockists, but they're down beside the old fruit and veg market in Dublin. But they're in industry as well. Who I think they have a special indigo one that you can't buy except in industry. So for all of you. Uh, arguers about colour there's one for every there's every colour available as Wonderful. well Wonderful Okay Now speaking of colour and before we get to uh, to the next bit we did have a little we, you were in you were very controversial last time and you told us all and you told our audience that, that grey was, was on the way out Yes and Now it got some uh, response uh, mainly that you were wrong <laughs> <laughs> hold, on, hold on Hold on to your guns is what I'm saying but uh, no lots yeah. and lots of people on Twitter particularly saying that uh, that that wasn't the case and they just painted their house grey and it's yeah. lovely and it's beautiful. So remind us again, you were really talking about the light and how cold and uh, dark Ireland can be. Yes. And grey sometimes doesn't reflect well, well in that. Well, it doesn't reflect well in it, but mainly as well, I suppose when we're talking about colour, we're t- we do talk about trends. And if you even if you go into your average furniture shop at the moment, they're not carrying as much grey fabric. They're not carrying, they're carrying navy blue velvet it's just, it's not top of the trend at the moment. It will always be classy. Grey is, and I think we were talking about Brown Thomas and the carpet last year mm-hmm. that we picked, that they will go with mouse grey all the time. It has a place, but its dominance is gone. There are people, and I think younger people, to be fair, are going all white with a higa, but they're not choosing grey. They're, and maybe that's to do with the fact if you are, you know it's a, it's for the it's for the period house it's it's far more it's a far more sober colour it is but isn't it just that little bit softer I feel that if you're going to paint a house in white or a room in white it begins to look a bit like an art gallery mm. and you have to be very brave then because everything else is on display mm. that is of any colour whereas grey it had the same effect that say Magnolia had a number of years ago it just softens that whole look and I think people People maybe feel it's a little bit safer. Mm. Um, it's not going to offend anybody, but at the same time, it's it's not that stark. I don't know. You see, I think I I hear other thing. I hear people say no more grey. Elephant's breath is gone. I hear a lot of people, and it does absorb light from the spectrum. It's one of the few colours. Uh, yellow will reflect it, but grey absorbs it. So there has been a response to it. They sort of you can see it in the Farron Ball. They've shoved it off, and they're saying we want more colour. To a certain extent, you know, it is a creative industry. Interiors, there can't be an absolute in any one of them. It's like the little black dress. It has a place. Grey has a place, but I think it's dominance. You know, I did I did do a few ring arounds on this on the paint suppliers and they're going, it's dominance is, is gone from the, what you would call the trendy. The trendies are not putting grey. They can't because they're, you know, if everybody's putting grey and they have to show something else. So they're, they're kind of going. So they, hence the introduction of sulking room pink, of indigos, of all these colours. So the, the grey lobby have are entitled to their opinion, they're, but they're wrong. Is that what you're telling us? I, would, I hate to say they're wrong, but I would, you know, I'm just that it's not been reflected in the way the industry is going. It is. I personally have a house that is painted completely grey. Roshi. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> grey doors. So you and, have to get rid of it but immediately. But it's 15 years old. 
15 years on the wall and five years longer than that before. And I think I paint, I did it big, and there was a big trend for, say, graph, you know, this very kind of what we talked about before, Scandi prints. Like, I painted a lot. It was all about showing. Moody Nordic kind of yes. murder scenes. Yeah. It, you know, <laughs> do you remember Bergen? Yes. Bergen. Think Bergen or Borgen yeah. or whatever it was or the bridge. It's just that it's had its day. So what I'm finding now is, uh, you know, I'm going into houses and seeing lots of colour. Lots okay. and lots so of So somebody colour. has a grey room like you, they can't afford to get it redone straight away. <laughs> what should they do? Colour pop on one wall, get some yellow cushions, I am, like that. I have to say, give me a good colour pop. Uh, I've recently uh, acquired a nice bright orange light. I would love a big cerise pink velvet couch, things like that. And also, you know, I have, I painted my bathroom pink. I am going to, my sons have decided that one of the walls is going to be uh, a what we call the wild green from Curator. So there's ways of putting colour in and it is coming whether I like it or not or you like it or not. It just, it's had its moment. A bit. It's, it's a bit like poor old Theresa May. It's It's been there, done that and it's out the door. <laughs> well, she isn't quite yet. Uh, all right, well, we will leave that argument roll on and on. Uh, <laughs> it's fun having the argument though. Now, Roisin can be found on Roisin Murphy Design on Instagram every day. Every it day it seems, you're yes, lovely yes. uh, photographs and pictures of desirable items. Uh, I'm on Twitter, Sinead underscore Ryan. Roisin, thank you for joining us. Thanks a million, Sinead. The Home Show with Sinead Ryan. Brought to you by EBS. Let our dedication, focus and expertise help you on your mortgage journey. EBS DAC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. This is News Talk. This is Sinead Ryan with you on The Home Show on News Talk. Now we've moved outside to talk about the garden. I'm here at Porrick Corkin. Porrick, you're very welcome. Again Good morning, Home Sinead. show. Now, please set the scene and tell us what iconic part of the country we are in. Well, it's an absolutely stunning day to be in the National Botanic Gardens here in Glasnevin. It's 50 acres of the most beautiful gardens we have in Ireland. And believe it or not, Sinead, back in the 80s, I was a graduate student here at the National Botanic Garden, so I have very, very fond memories of digging the borders, planting the plants and digging the spuds and all of that work that went into it. But a beautiful part, uh, a part, national parkland here in the National Botanic Garden. That must be the best university setting anyone can think of. It was. <laughs> and it, it, You know what I loved about it was the practical work. You were out gardening with the gardeners and then you spent time, obviously, in classes in the lecture halls as well. And a career in horticulture, I can highly recommend it to anyone. Well, it, it, certainly judging by today and the weather we've been having, uh, why, why would anybody do anything different? Now, uh, I've seen a lot of people walking around here uh, this morning, a lot of ladies, and I'm reminded that, of course, this weekend we have Mother's, Mother's Day, Day coming up. Yeah. And what a better inspiration uh, could you need for uh, a gift? Now, tell us a little bit about uh, how... Uh, g- plants or indeed some of the flowers or indeed uh, trees we've seen would work for Mother's Day because those um, supermarket bouquets of flowers, we can do better than that, can't we? We can. It's, I think there's nothing nicer than giving a living plant. And in terms of indoor plants, you've got beautiful plants in flower at this time of year, including things like the orchids, the Phalaenopsis orchid, which is the moth orchid. It's a beautiful plant that's in full bloom, white pink and purple flowers. You keep it indoors, of course, all year round. Yeah. But the moth orchid or Phalaenopsis is one of the easiest of all orchids to grow. And orchids have a, a name for being expensive. 
They have a but name for being a bit picky and difficult and temperamental Yeah, as but well. they're not actually. They're, they're epiphytes. They actually live in trees in, in um, the tropics and are so easy to grow. So that particular variety, Phalaenopsis, um, requires, it's a low light level orchid, so, which means it'll grow in your kitchen, in your sitting room, yes. in your bedroom if you wish. Somewhere there's low light, you water it every two or three weeks and it keeps on giving year in, year out. So that's and they are such a classic ah, they're a stunning flower, aren't they? Absolutely they're, beautiful. They really are nice. Now I've been looking, watching some grey squirrels as they're hopping by us here. It's um, They're also enjoying the sun. So anything else um, Another lovely plant appreciate. is a plant called the Painter's Palette. And the Painter's Palette has beautiful red-bracked leaves. So very stunning colour. Again, that plant stays in flower for nearly 12 months of the year, the Painter's Palette. It's, the botanical na name is Anthurium. Um, and it gets its name because the flower of the bract, the leaf, the red leaf, is the shape of a painter's palette. Oh, so it's a lovely, lovely plant. It's got red colour in the flower and a beautiful dark green leaf. So a lovely contrast of colours. And that's a pot, you'd keep that in a pot? or You keep you it inside all okay. year round. Now, if you wanted something that with a bit of colour and scent, Potted lilies are available at the moment in your yes. local garden centre. They're in full flower at the moment. Again, they come in shades of, of pinks and reds and whites. But that's a plant that you can plant out of doors after flowering. So you keep it in whilst it's in flower at this time of year and then plant it out, say, about the middle of May and it'll come back into flower every year after that. Now, if you've got a gardener, in your life, a mother that you want to give something for their garden. I think trees like magnolias are beautiful mm. at the moment. Camellias are absolutely stunning. The flowering cherries are in full bloom at the moment. And the beauty about all of those plants is that they flower on Mother's Day every year. Oh, isn't so, it wonderful? Isn't so you it? can hand it blooming. Well, that's <laughs> it. And, and, and uh, your mother will remember that gift that of a cherry or of a flowering magnolia because it's back in flower next Mother's Day again. Wonderful. Okay, well, that's some fantastic suggestions. Absolutely no excuses. Turn up with a box of chocolates this year. You can definitely get something nicer. Uh, and as you say, a living gift. Uh, now, uh, you had mentioned to me that you can also gift a tree. Okay. Uh, and you, in fact, you were saying that you don't need a large garden to plant a tree. Um, you're saying they can even... You can even put a tree on a balcony. You can, of course. And we're coming up to National Tree Week, which actually is on the same day as Mother's Day, the 31st of March. And what better way to mark an occasion, particularly Mother's Day, than planting a tree. But there are trees like Japanese maples that are small, very, very neat and compact. They're perfect on a balcony or in a large pot on a patio. So if you only want a tree maybe three to four feet high, the Japanese maples are absolutely beautiful. And are they difficult to look after, Porrick? They're not as long as you plant them out of wind, out of a windy, cold area. They dislike that kind of cold wind. Having said that, I've probably 15 or 20 of them planted in my own garden in various different locations and they do well every year. So the Japanese maple is totally hardy here in Ireland but do try to give it a slightly sheltered mm. spot. A bright sunny spot or semi-shade, they do very well in both. You can grow them in large pots or you can plant them out into the open ground. But there are plenty of other trees. One of my favourites actually here in the National Botanic Gardens is the strawberry tree. Oh, strawberries. Strawberry now, that tree. That sounds fabulous. Now the traditional strawberry grows as a small plant or runner but there is a tree native to Ireland called Arbutus Unido and it is commonly called the strawberry tree because it produces beautiful edible fruits in the autumn right through the winter. They're small, about pea size, brilliant red colour 
and they're fully edible. Really? And it's got beautiful white flowers. And are they nice? Now, could you put them in maybe in a breakfast cereal bowl? They wouldn't bowl be or, as uh, good. You're not going to get clotted cream and no, have them you're not. in the tennis. No, they're not going to be as good <laughs> as our traditional strawberry. But it is a very nice tree. And the unusual thing about it, Sinead, is that it's an evergreen tree. So our Butus Unido retains its foliage in winter. It flowers in autumn right through early winter and the berries and the flowers are actually on the tree at the same time. And would they be available now in most garden centres? Most garden centres. Or, or yes, you will. You get them. No, no, you'll get them in, in, in local garden centres right around the country. If they don't have them in stock today, then you'll, they'll certainly order one in. But it, it does extremely well here in Ireland. So that's our beauties you need of the strawberry tree. But look, at the, there's lots of really good trees. Beautiful cherries in flower at the moment. We mentioned the magnolias as well. They're available in a whole range of different colours. And it's a lovely time of year. I think it's a lovely thing to do to mark any occasion, like a birthday, Mother's Day, or any special occasion you have to plant a tree. To plant a tree and, and then you'll have the memory exactly. years later. For years and for. years and particularly if you plant with your family members. I mean trees will last for 50, 60, 70 years. Wonderful. Okay. Well, while we're here, let's talk about with the weekend that's in it. We really have had a blast of spring this week. The weather has been just lovely. Now, of course, we know it may not last, but what are the two or three things that people ought to be doing around now? Okay, for most people, they've cut their grass at this time of year. So thinking about the lawns, now is the time to give them a feed to encourage some new growth. If you need to reseed your lawn, this is a really good time of year and the weather's ideal to get that done. In terms of your five a day, this is the perfect time to be sowing the seeds of vegetables, of herbs, of fruiting plants out directly in the garden. The planting of garlic, the planting of onions can happen at this time of year. And all the salad crops, they're available in small plants in your local garden centre. They can be planted out of doors. So things like lettuce, common cum, cut and come foliage, things like radishes can be planted out of doors, carrots, all of those are readily available and ready for planting at this time of year. And when it comes to now things like the simplest of things to grow, like herbs, herbs yeah. are you a fan of buying the little ready-made, the seeded ones that maybe have been, have been growing in greenhouses and they're already up, or would you plant them from seed? What do you recommend? I would go to my local garden centre and buy the plants that are already grown um, several weeks back. So if you buy from your local garden centre, they're hardy plants, have been grown out outside, they're well used to, to the weather conditions and they can be planted in window boxes or patio tubs and planted out of doors. And think of Easter. We're going to be having the lovely lamb for, at Easter we time. We certainly are. So, I am anyway. <laughs> yeah, so things like sage and rosemary, thyme, oregano, chives, they can all be planted in simple window boxes because many of them are Mediterranean plants and what they require is plenty of sunshine and a free draining soil and what better way to grow them than in pots and containers. And you can pick them off then as you're using them and they regrow you know very very quickly. And that's the secret, if you continue to cut herbs you keep them young, you keep the flavour more intense in the foliage and I always advise if you're not going to use the, the cuttings, freeze them in ice cubes. And then you can use them in stews and in dishes right through the winter period when herbs are a little bit more rare. That's uh, a super rare. idea. That's super. So, and anybody who is a, anything of a cook will know that there is just no comparison between dried and fresh herbs. Absolutely. And if you freeze them, if you pick them and freeze them straight away, they're as good as a fresh herb. So that's my advice. Trim them on a regular basis and freeze those that you're not going to use straight away. Okay. Now, the other uh, fruit, vegetable, that we should be uh, looking at now are tomatoes. Tomatoes, yeah. So you say 
say tomato, I say tomato. tomato. Which one are you saying? Well, I'm saying tomato. So <laughs> this time of year is the time for planting tomatoes. Now, if you want a really easy variety and one to maybe plant with the children, there's a lovely variety called Red Profusion. And it really lives up, up to its name. The fruit is a, a really dark red colour. It's a medium-sized fruit and it literally produces buckets of tomatoes right through from June until late September. You can simply grow it in a pot. There's no pinching out or trimming back or having to stake it. It's one of those easy varieties that you simply pot into a large tub, water it well, feed it every two weeks with tomato feed and you'll be rewarded with lots of fresh pickings from the middle of June right through to autumn. Wonderful. And I mean, you can grow several varieties then, presumably, in a long tub. You could have the little cherries you can have, uh, or, yeah. or the... the full-size salad tomatoes and they'll all grow happily side by side. Yes, they? they will. And varieties like Sweet Aperitif is a lovely variety. It's a small cherry tomato, highly scented, or highly sweet, I should say. Lots of very good sugars, natural sugars in Sweet Aperitif. It's a really nice variety. Gardener's Delight is another great one. If you like a large-sized tomato, my favourite is one called Shirley. It grows tall, but it produces very large tomatoes. And all of those will grow in pots and containers. You can plant herbs around the base of them, like basil, or oh, oregano so, or margarine. And, and of course they all go together they then, all you go know, together and, exactly and they go together as well in, on the plate so uh, that's a really good idea to get them going okay well look we leave it there Porrick uh, we are with regret leaving the National Botanic Gardens if you do get a chance to come down this weekend with or without your mum um, it's just a wonderful place to visit all year round there is colour here all of the time even in winter and it's wonderful to come down and see the gardeners at work uh, and all the beautiful plants that are here thank you very much Porrick Thanks, of uh, Porrick's uh, Hawkins Garden Centre <laughs> and we can hear you on the Pat Kenny Show during the week you can indeed The Home Show with Sinead Ryan brought to you by EBS let our dedication focus and expertise help you on your mortgage journey EBS DAC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland this is News Talk I'm joined now by Carol Tallon, who is an author and CEO of Property District. Carol, you're very welcome to the programme. Thank you, Sinead. Uh, on all things property. Tell us a little bit about what you do and particularly about this whole area that you're involved in, which is called Prop Tech. Ah, very good. Well, um, I'm CEO of Property District, which is really a communications agency for the planning, construction and property industries. Something that's become very important over the past 10 years because people... You know, certainly over the last 10 years, people don't just want to know what's being built. They want to know who's building it, what materials they're using. You know, people are, have become more concerned with what happens behind the scenes of the property industry. Um, and where PropTech comes in, uh, that's that's the, the phrase or the buzzword um, of the day that we use to describe any digital innovation of the planning, construction and property industries. Um, so about three or four years ago, we started to to uh, become aware of innovators in this space. So we were meeting people and in some cases these were 19, 20 year olds who were frustrated with the rental market. And and so we, we started to meet these people who were innovating to try improve issues they found when dealing um, initially as consumers in the property industry. So a lot of the a lot of the early innovation didn't come from the industry. It didn't come from estate agents or even developers or builders having difficulties. A lot of this came from the consumers who said, actually, this is not the way we want to sign our mortgage papers. This is not the way we want to visit houses. This is not the way we want to bid on properties. Um, so consumers who had problems started to solve them. And that really got the ball rolling. And that's a global trend, not just in Ireland. Because, I mean, we, we have fundamentally changed the way we do 
business pretty much across the board online, yeah. haven't we? And younger people are just used to tap, swipe, you know, app for everything uh, yeah. and all that kind of thing. So tell me about some of the projects that have developed Okay. Uh, from this then um, there's there's such a wide ra- wide range so um, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of, uh, happening in the geospatial side of things so um, mapping um, because if you if you think about what we have with Google Maps uh, there are so many applications built upon that so um, if you're looking at properties augmented reality can bring in if you're say you're considering a new home in a certain area Augmented reality can show you not just what's there now, but what is going to be there in line with planning over the coming years. And when um, you talk about augmented reality, are you talking about like virtual reality headsets it's, and, it's and kind of immersive virtual, technology? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's immersive technologies. But how augmented reality is different to virtual reality? Virtual reality is all created, so it's almost like a gamified version. Um, so we do see that in the in the construction industry, particularly where you've got CGI images of proposed buildings or something before it's built. So you can have a virtual reality walkthrough of a building before it's built and that's all virtual reality. And that's nearly, that's evident currently even just in the residential market where, you know, in some cases you can go in and have a full 360 degree tour of a prospective new homes. And and, and and home buyers love that. Um, Well, house hunters love that as well because uh, remember we've house hunters, we, we talk about doing this for remote house hunters, people who are abroad and thinking of buying property in Ireland or returning to Ireland but remember if you're in Dublin and you're looking to buy in Kildare you don't want to be travelling down every time a new property comes on the market as well so in fact virtual reality tours um, suit all house hunters at the moment but just because of our lifestyles yeah, and, and you can look up down around behind you brilliant. go up the stairs yeah. and it's as if you were actually in the property itself it's almost better than being in the property because you can linger on things like the skirting boards and the architraves and things that maybe you wouldn't do if you were actually doing a real walkthrough so I, I think um, virtual reality walkthroughs are, are amazing for that but how augmented reality is different is that augmented augment reality means you can stand say on the site of a proposed development and you're seeing what's there in reality uh, but through your smart device so you don't need to be our headset through your smart device you're seeing what will be there and the important distinction there is that you're seeing the proposed development in the context of what's actually there in terms so it's of superimposed the planning that's coming down the line maybe a motorway a supermarket yeah, that kind of thing anything like that so um with proposed development particularly in in terms of um the new building height uh, building yes. height restrictions that have been lifted um so that's a huge issue for dublin and i think Dubliners are really having difficulty in imagining what that will be like. Augmented reality is what we need to show us what that's going to look like because we can't contextualise what these buildings, how high these buildings are going to be, how they're actually going to impact the streets that they're overlooking or um, overshadowing. So actually augmented reality is the solution for that more so than virtual reality because you're actually seeing things while standing on the street. Yes. You can you can see things in context. Yes. So um, the, the range of new technologies it's just amazing. I think probably the the best example um, is online bidding because online bidding has just taken hold. I don't think there's an agency in the country now that can opt out of online bidding. Now, tell me how that works because I know there are quite a number of agencies. There's been a huge surge about it. I've been writing yeah. about myself in, in the Irish Independent and there has been a huge increase in how this business is transacted. Mm. It's very transparent and I think that's partly what people like about it. It absolutely is. Um, You might recall when you started writing about property and when I started writing about property, we'd know um, property price register. 
that's so true. do you remember writing about property when it was guesswork or we were phoning estate agents and trying to see how, how much that go we for we didn't even and have AMVs <laughs> you know so it was guesswork absolute guesswork so it's it's astonishing you know for people who think that the Irish property market lacks transparency now you know I, I do like to point out that actually we've come a huge way in yeah. the past decade it's astonishing to think where we were a decade ago so actually I see online bidding platform as the natural evolution of that um, it, it allows for into, uh, for complete transparency but also it fits our on demand generation uh, you know it, people don't Real want to be in the moment tell, tell us a little bit uh, for somebody okay. who hasn't heard about it okay. from, a cons- from a buyer's point of view what, what, how is the how online different? bidding platform okay well online bidding platforms are exactly what they sound like instead of phoning the estate agent you can look Look at a property online and if you're interested in it, um, you can follow the bidding. But most importantly, if you want to get involved in the bidding, in most cases, you have to submit your proof of funds, your ID. So um, it's it's a verified method of bidding. It There's gets no messers. The tire kickers. Absolutely. Um, and so what that means is bidding is happening 24 hours a day. I mean, in fact, um, bidding platforms, by the way, are not incredibly new. I mean, they've really taken hold in the last 12 months. But actually, um, BidX1 or formerly Alsops, they were the first to launch the online auction platform. And that became synonymous with online bidding. But actually for consumers, um, there's an auction house in the west of Ireland called I Am Sold. And um, there's an ex-REA agent, Healy Hines. He was an agent, a state agent for about a quarter of a century and a a second generation. And he designed a solution um, four or five years ago, which is now called Beagle Bid. And that's one that's primarily used with independent estate agents. Sherry Fitzgerald have brought out their own version now. So there's very few estate agents who haven't offered this platform, which is essentially logging into the website, uh, looking at the property. You can monitor what bids are there. And provided that you have actually given your details in terms of proof of finance and proof of ID, you can get involved in bidding. So the great thing there about transparency, even though the full names aren't there, you have initials or... Um, no, and, and considering, Carol, this is the most um, expensive purchase you'll yeah. ever make in your life for most people. Yeah. It, it seems odd that it wouldn't be transparent. And yet I'm still meeting estate agents most weekends. Uh, some of them still saying, when you say to them, are there any bids on this property? Are there any offers in? Oh, we don't disclose that. And you're thinking, well, they absolutely not? should disclose they that. Absolutely uh, they absolutely should. should. Look, um, the market has moved on. And I, uh, look, I, I think it's quite fair to say that not all agents have moved with it. And by the way, I completely take on board what you're saying. You know, a, a, a decade and a half ago, um, after I bought my first home at the wonderfully naive age of 23, and it was not a smart decision. Um, that's actually what prompted me to leave law and go into property. And so for about eight years, I worked as a house hunter up and down the country Um so to say that I learned a lot of what goes on behind the scenes is probably a massive understatement. But it really struck me that there was this lack of transparency and it's a very unlevel playing field and buyers are still not represented. And I'm really happy to see in the last couple of years there's been a resurgence of buyers agents in Ireland. Yes. And I think that's really important. Um, but we we definitely have a difficulty there that um, buyers are just not as well represented. So they really do need to seek the right information. Now, the Property Services Regulatory Authority are certainly upping their game in terms of calling out 
false bids only mm. a couple of weeks ago because I don't think people are aware that still happens. But g- given that, you know, most people only buy a house a couple of times in their lives. So you can't mm. be an expert buyer uh, unless you're a professional. Yeah. So technology is bridging that gap and I know an awful lot of buyers feel very uncomfortable in an auction room because it's so frenetic, it's so busy, yeah. they don't know if they should scratch their nose or they'll end yeah. up with a house they didn't want. Yeah. Uh, so maybe that online auction is a way of doing that in a kind of more relaxed scenario where you've serious bidders and, and you know then exactly what you're getting and, and couple that with all the other technologies available it's a much safer environment for the buyer don't you think? Do you know it is a safer environment but for the past decade I've actually been saying to home buyers and even first time buyers you cannot be afraid of the auction room so in fact um, I was chatting to the auction house in the west of Ireland um, I am sold a couple of weeks ago and I asked them about the most recent transaction thinking they were all cash transactions and they told me that over 50% were, were mortgaged transactions now that really surprised me because Eight years ago, um, or even seven or eight years ago, when we saw online auctions and uh, the big multi-lot auctions coming in and taking hold of the Shelburne Hotel, they were almost all cash buyers. Mm-hmm. So actually to hear that um, almost half the, the purchases in an auction room now are mortgaged, that means home buyers, and, and that includes first-time buyers, they're missing an opportunity if they don't engage in the auction room. So I, I do think it's something that there's a fear about, but actually buyers need to get over that fear. But by the way, um, buyers equally have a fear of getting into a um, an offline bidding war as well for, for uh, private treaty sales. And in fact, same thing, I am still telling buyers, you cannot shy away from a negotiation. Negotiations are inevitable in the current marketplace. You, you, you cannot shy away from it. You need to on you when you're buying a house, don't but, you? Uh, look, it's about resilience <laughs> and you need to go and each time you get knocked out, you'll learn from that and you'll be a little bit smarter the next time. But you cannot walk away from it. And in fact, so many young and inexperienced buyers are buying new homes simply because they come with a price tag and they forget that actually that's quite negotiable as well. The price tag might not be very negotiable but all the extras are and the extras can come up to about 10% of the value of the property. So I think people, again, who aren't negotiating on new homes are missing a trick as well. Well, one of the other things, of course, we can't walk away from is the onward march of technology. We leave it there. Carol Tallon, CEO of Property District. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Well, that's it for this episode of the Home Show podcast. We'll be up on iTunes and other podcast players shortly. But for now, you can find us at Newstalk.com. My thanks to all the guests and we'll talk with you again this time next week. The Home Show on News Talk. Brought to you by EBS. Let our dedication, focus and expertise help you on your mortgage journey. EBS DAC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland.